hope and hopes. On paper, those words are almost exactly the same. In fact, just one little letter separates them, an S on the end of the latter. However, my brothers and sisters, theologically speaking, they are not the same. Those two words, in fact, hope and hopes, mean very different things. They are literally worlds apart. For example, it is possible for a person to have many hopes, but no hope. At the same time, most atheists and agnostics probably fall into this category. Genuine hope is impossible for them. But they can certainly have a lot of hopes, as many as the rest of us. It's also possible for a person to have a lot of hope, and at the same time very few, if any, hopes. When my mother was on her deathbed in 1990, almost 18 years ago now, she certainly fell into this category. A lot of hope, very few, if any, hopes. And many faithful believers have also fa fallen into that category over the years. You can have many hopes and still despair. But if you have the virtue of hope firmly planted in your heart, you will never despair. Even if all your hopes are dashed in a split second, and they can be. Are you confused yet? <laughs> well, try not to be, because the difference is actually quite simple. Hopes, in the plural, hopes, refer to our aspirations. They are the desires we hold in our hearts. And they concern the things that we need or that we want in this life. I hope to get accepted at the college that I really want to go to. Some of you who are high school seniors have probably said those very words in recent months. I hope to get a good job soon. I hope to get married and have a family someday. I hope to get a big refund on my taxes this year, right? So that I can take a nice trip this summer. And of course, give a big donation to Father Ray and the church. I can only hope. <laughs> Those, my brothers and sisters, are just a few examples of some common hopes. You could all give me lots of others, I'm sure. The possibilities are almost endless. But that is not what we mean when we speak of the theological virtue of hope. Very different. Hopes relate to the things of this world. The virtue of hope, on the other hand, points us toward heaven, eternal life, the ultimate goal of human existence. In this sense, hope is rooted in faith. That's why I said in my Easter homily a few weeks back, your hope is only as strong as your faith is. This is why we need Mass every Sunday. 
Our faith needs to be nourished so that we will have this kind of hope. The Catechism puts it beautifully when it says, and here I quote, Hope is the theological virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness, placing our trust in Christ's promises and relying not on our strength, but on the help of the grace of the Holy Spirit. In today's Gospel story from Luke 24, two disciples meet the risen Jesus as they are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus on Easter Sunday, although they initially don't recognize our Lord. These disciples are clearly upset. They're confused. They don't understand what has just happened in recent days. And they're very depressed. In fact, at one point, St. Luke explicitly says they stopped looking downcast. Then our Lord begins to question them about the events of Holy Thursday and Good Friday. In the course of their response, these disciples say to Jesus, sadly, We were hoping that this Jesus would be the one to redeem Israel. We were hoping. Clearly, these men had a hope with regard to Jesus. But the real question is, did they have the theological virtue of hope in their hearts? I would say no. They did not, at least not at this point. And that's one reason why they were so depressed. One reason I think why there is so much depression in our culture right now, there's a, very little faith, generally speaking, and there's very little hope, because you need faith to have Christian hope. You see, most Jews in the first century expected the Messiah to be a great earthly ruler, like King David from centuries before. A ruler who would get rid of the Romans. Remember, the Jews in the first century were under Roman domination. They were an occupied country, as they have been so often throughout their history. And they had a hope that this Messiah who would come would restore them to greatness. To make them like they were in the days of great King David. Well, apparently that's also what these two disciples thought. They were looking to be redeemed from Roman domination, not from sin and eternal death. And so one of their hopes for Jesus was that he would become a popular revolutionary leader. A leader who would bring the Jewish people together. Great political figure who would galvanize the populace and start a revolt and get the Romans off their backs, finally. Well, obviously, that misguided hope was crushed. Totally on Good Friday. It was over. No wonder they were so upset and depressed. But thankfully, Jesus made sure that this 
false hope was replaced in these disciples by something far greater and far more important, namely the theological virtue of hope, Christian hope. Jesus starts off by helping these men to understand that true redemption, redemption from sin, has in fact taken place through the Messiah's suffering and death. And that this death was actually the Messiah's path to eternal glory, to eternal life. He says to them at one point, Oh, how foolish you are! How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets spoke. Was it not necessary that the Christ, Christ means Messiah, the Anointed One. Was it not necessary that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer these things and so enter His glory? And when they finally recognize Him at table and realize, hey, He's alive, they begin to understand that His resurrection means something wonderful for them. Personally, and for all the other faithful followers of Jesus, present and future. And that is the moment when they begin to have hope. True Christian hope. As well as the joy that comes from that hope. When you have Christian hope, you can be joyful, you can rejoice in the midst of even the darkest circumstances. Now, those things that I said at the beginning of my homily should make perfect sense at this point. I said, if you will recall, that it's possible for a person to have a lot of hopes, but no hope, at the same time. In other words, a person can have a lot of earthly aspirations and goals, to go to this college, to get this job, to get married someday, whatever. And that person still might lack the hope that comes from faith in the risen Christ. I also said that it's possible for a person to have oodles of hope and at the same time very few, if any, hopes. When my mother was on her deathbed in 1990, it got to the point where she knew she was going to die. Now, prior to that, my mother had a lot of hopes. She used to, for example, always like to go and visit her sister, my aunt, down in Maryland once or twice a year for a week or two. That was something she looked forward to. She always had that hope. Next year, I'll see you again. Well, that hope was gone when she was on her deathbed, and she knew that. But my mother did have hope on her deathbed in her final moments right till the end, the hope of living forever with Jesus Christ, whom she always referred to as her best friend. Do you see the difference? In preparing this homily, I also thought of the mother of St. Augustine, St. Monica. Way back in the fourth century, Monica prayed very hard for her son to give up his wild ways and become a Christian. He was living by the philosophy of wine, women, and song for a long time. Monica is the patron saint of all mothers who have wayward children. 
If you've got one or more than one, pray to her. Well, finally, after many years, her son Augustine did convert. Listen now to how Augustine described a conversation he had with his mother shortly before she died. He wrote, The day was now approaching when my mother Monica would depart from this life. The two of us, all alone, were enjoying a very pleasant conversation, forgetting the past and pushing on to what is ahead. We were asking one another in the presence of the truth, for you, Lord, are truth, what it would be like to share the eternal life enjoyed by the saints, which eye has not seen nor ear heard, which has not even entered into the heart of man. We desired with all our hearts to drink from the streams of your heavenly fountain, the fountain of life. That was the substance of our talk, though not the exact words. But you know, O oh Lord, that in the course of our conversation that day, the world and all its pleasures lost their attraction for us. My mother said, Son, as far as I am concerned, nothing in this life now gives me any pleasure. I do not know why I am still here, since I have no further hopes in this world. I did have one reason for wanting to live a little longer, to see you become a Catholic Christian before I die. God has lavished his gifts on me in that respect, for I know that you have even renounced earthly happiness to be his servant. So what am I doing here? At the end of her earthly life, the great Saint Monica apparently had no hopes whatsoever. But at the same time, this great woman of God had a superabundance of hope. You can have lots of hopes and still despair, as I said at the beginning. But if you have this virtue of hope planted firmly in your heart, like Saint Monica and like my mother did, you will never despair, even if all your hopes are in the past, even if all of your hopes are dashed in one single split second. Now, don't get me wrong, having hopes is good. We all have them. Having hopes is very good. But having hope is much better. Dear Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit, fill us with hope, now and always. Amen.